Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you uh, on this now uh, Tuesday, uh, January. Where where we are today? We are January the twelfth of twenty twenty one. Yesterday we begun our week uh, studying as we always, as is our custom to do, and and look at the word uh, prophetically. And so we are excited and we are so grateful, along with my brothers, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. Uh, it's, we always consider it an honor to be able to fellowship with you that are listening and be able to glean from the Word of God, especially in such a time as the days that we are living. We have begun 2021 at, at an accelerated time and, and pace, pace. Uh, uh, the things that we are seeing, and but we continue to look at the Word of God because that's what has all the answers that we need in such an hour like this. So thank you for spending time with us, and, and I believe today God has a fresh word for us. You will be blessed. So Brother Marty, we will leave it to you as as you share what God has placed in your heart as we discuss and study the Word of God today. Amen. We're beginning uh, a new series today called Our Coming Exodus, Our Coming Exodus. Uh, As we find ourselves in the United States in a transition right now, there is much taking place all over the world. As we have been discussing, closing out 2020 into 2021, a transition is taking place. It's being accelerated. And for those of you who are discerning and understanding, uh, and who have been with us uh, and, and on our journey as well. As we began these podcasts almost a year ago, coming up here pretty quick, we have seen the Lord begin to move by His Spirit, begin to reveal many things through His Word, as the entire world has come up under a, a shift in in really what I believe is the beginning of of, of the end of time. And that's a big statement to make. We're not setting dates, but we are being guided by the Holy Spirit in his word as he leads us through the word. And uh, <clears throat> for those of you who have just joined us, we encourage you to go back and, and listen to the podcast of 2020, which began March the 19th. And you will see throughout March and into the summer and as we closed out 2020, we, we had many different things that the Lord was telling us all along the way. And now here we are, just 12 days into the new year, and it already seems like we've been through a whole year in just a matter of a couple weeks. We've seen the the storming of the United States Capitol uh, under questionable circumstances, which we won't get into, but what we're seeing is truly uh, what we believe uh, is the shifting of power um, and the time beginning now, uh, what the Lord talked about. The beginning of sorrows, the early days of the tribulation period, I'm absolutely convinced of this. And it's not without merit, it's not without understanding, it's by the word of Almighty God. And so, with that in mind, <clears throat> uh, the Lord has been speaking to my heart about particular things as to what can we look forward to going in, in, in the coming days? What is it that we're going to see? And more importantly, where does that put us on the prophetic? timeline and also what can we expect in the days ahead so that's what we're going to begin to do as we get into our new series uh, i don't know how many days it'll last uh but we'll, we'll we'll begin today 
And so I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he would begin um, by reading Exodus uh, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, we encourage you to open the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 1. And if you could uh, read to us verse 6 through 8, Brother Jeremy, as we begin our study, praying for the Holy Spirit to bless, to open our eyes, to lift us between the heaven and the earth, to behold wondrous things, and hear thy voice, O Lord. We pray for the people and for these podcasts, for this nation and for our brethren around the world, in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. And Joseph died. And all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Amen. So. Verse 6 says, Joseph died, all his brethren, and all that generation. And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know. And really, the story of the Exodus, like we were told by the Apostle Paul, is history that is prophetic, but specifically upon the generation that is the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. Brother Jeremy, could you read that to us real quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, to see what the Apostle Paul said about this particular portion of of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. Now, all these things happened unto them for ensamples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's an incredible thing that he says. First, he draws our attention to these stories, if you read chapter 10, that occurred in the Exodus, in the deliverance of the children of Israel. He says that it was particularly to be paid attention to uh, by the people upon whom the ends of the world have come. And then he throws a little caveat in there uh, for us to take note of. He says, take heed, uh, especially those who think that they can stand, uh, lest they will fall. It kind of sets the prophetic tone for the intensity of these days that we have entered into. We're well into them now. Uh, but but we ain't seen nothing yet, trust me. But it's beginning. Those of you who are out there, I know some of you are afraid. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are just flat out confused. Maybe the theology that you've held to for many years doesn't seem to be playing out. You know, there's many preachers right now that have gone uh, incredibly silent uh, at the precise time that, that, that the church of, of the living God <laughs> truly needs servants. To, to bring to uh, to the forefront what it is that the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so all of us are experiencing these trials. But what Paul said was, as as you study these things that happened to them, as particularly during the Exodus, he, he, he lets us know that the intensity of, of what we will be dealing with is of such a nature that we're not to become spiritually arrogant and think that we're so strong in the things of God that we can't crumble up underneath the pressure of it. 
or the type of thing that Jesus called uh, iniquity abounding. He said, because iniquity would abound that the love of many would wax cold. So the reactions in the emotional realm are, you know, are, are wide and varying. They, they come from uh, the position of being overwhelmed and crushed just by the events that, that, that are ahead, or they come in the form of, of, a, of a temptation to give into the things of the world. And so this is what Paul tells us to do is to take heed. Now, America and the West, really, uh, God's children upon the face of the earth, we are indeed in the middle of prophetic times. And the Exodus is the story of the deliverance of God's people, a foreshadow also of God's deliverance from the Pharaoh of our time, who is coming, that son of perdition. And as we look today at the Exodus, we're going to ask you to really open your hearts to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches, because I believe what we're about to explore and what we're going to see in the scriptures is a word for the right now for our time. Brother Jeremy began by reading uh, chapter uh, one, verse six. But just before that, um, the, the book opens with a genealogy. These are the names, Exodus 1, 1 of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, every man and his household that came with Jacob. And then the next uh, four or five verses, it gives the names of the, of the men and, uh, of God that, that came down into Egypt, the generation that, uh, that came into Egypt. But what's interesting is it, it, it begins to set the tone. It begins with the names of God's church of that time, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. And it sets uh, the understanding or our understanding into a deeper level led by the Spirit because for the names that are recorded, they're meant to encourage us. And, and, and one of the things I'm just going to put out there right at the beginning is that the book of Exodus uh, is a foreshadow in its prophetic deeper understanding of what is actually brought to a fullness of of reality in the book of Revelation. And when you compare the two, you can almost lay the template on top of each other and they fit. Remember, it was through many plagues, 10 plagues, that the children of Israel were finally let loose out of, out of Egypt. And, and that is exactly what the book of Revelation teaches us in the opening of the seals, in the blowing of the trumpets, in the, in the three woes, in, in the pouring out of the vials you will see that the same plagues that took place in Egypt at the first deliverance of God's people are the same plagues and in, in, in much more earnest around the whole world that will, that will begin to take place at the end of time. And so when we see that the names are recorded at the book of, of, of Exodus, it sets the tone for the beginning of our understanding in these prophetic ways. What is this likened to? Really, what you can can say is that it is the recorded names of the children of God within the book of God. In our sense, we would call it the Lamb's book of life. And so prophetically speaking, Exodus begins with a record of names written down of the generations that went before. It, it, it gives us that understanding that what is about to transpire, uh, the names and, and, and the recorded names of the histories of the fathers that went before us are in God's book. That's why Exodus starts that way. It's the Lamb's book of life veiled, if you can understand it. And why the Lamb's book of life? Because the book of Revelation is in many ways 
the fullness of the Exodus revealed. And it is the frequent mention of the names recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life that anchor our soul from what lies ahead. The event of the Exodus is coming. And the events of the Exodus, remember, they're triggered by this. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. The events of the Exodus, as we read in the book of Exodus, begin with an interesting statement in verse 6. Can you read verse 6 again to us, Brother Jeremy? And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. What God is saying and what we need to pay attention to, because we know Israel's exodus is a type of the church at the end times exodus. That's what's going to happen. He's going to come and rescue his church just like he came and rescued Israel in the beginning. So he will do Israel and the church in the end. <clears throat> but what we see as a trigger point, as a flashpoint to the spiritually discerning things that we can glean from the story is that what begins to trigger it is a generation that passes away. So it's triggered by the passing of a generation and also in verse 8, the rising of a new king over Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. And so what we're being told here is that as one generation passes away, we enter into a new season. We enter into a new season of prophetic understanding. The deliverance of the children of God is at hand and it begins when a generation passes away. The generation who knew Joseph, a type of Christ. The reason that the children of Israel in verse 7 were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them is because of the favor they had, that generation, in that they knew Joseph. And in many ways, it parallels our time. What we are witnessing right now is the passing of what we call in our time the greatest generation, right? A generation that was preserved by Joseph, if you will. A generation that was preserved by the very gospel that they embraced, by the spirit of Christ in them. This generation that came out of World War II. Many of them are passing away. They're reaching their end. They've come to that place. A generation is going away. And a new generation is about to come up up under something, a new king. Can you read to us verse 8 and 9, Brother Jeremy, chapter 1? Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Understand that this new king is a type of the spirit of Antichrist that begins to rise at the ending of a generation. It is a king that does not know Joseph. It is very much the political formation that they experienced, one that is devoid of Christ, Joseph being a type of Christ. And when he rises or this transition takes place of the passing of one generation into the reality of the new transition. There will arise the spirit of Antichrist, if you will. It's a preparatory spirit. It's a spirit that prepares the way for the ultimate one who will be the Antichrist. That's what we see in, in Exodus chapter 2, 
when it says this uh, in verse 23. Can you read that 223, Brother Jeremy? says, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. So the first king that we see is the passing of a generation. He really is a new king. It's a new spirit that arises. And what it immediately does is begin to prepare the way. It's triggering something. It's beginning something. It's a transition period that does not know Joseph, who is a type of Christ. That is what we are witnessing right now. But what it is actually doing, once it reaches its fullness and accomplishes what it is intended to accomplish, it will find the children of Israel or the church, if you will, in our time under complete heavy bondage. And that new king that arises, that Pharaoh that Moses will deal with, he is that Antichrist. He is the type of that Antichrist. But let's take a look at what the Spirit does here in verse 8 and 9. He's devoid of, 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 of Joseph, and he doesn't know him. We could talk about that at length, but we won't. But what does he do right away? He... Well, to me, really, it's a striking parallel to what's happening now in America. See, a godless new leadership has set its sights on the church. That's what we see in verse 9. Like Pharaoh, they are now beginning to see us as the enemy. That's what this new king said in verse 9. He says to his people, his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than I. What they notice right away is they have a large body of people that are in direct opposition to them. They're a blessed people, but they realize that they are they're a threat to them. And I don't know if you can hear what I'm telling you by the Spirit, but that's exactly what we see happening right now in this country and throughout the West. We are up under a transition period right now. And the attention of this new spirit, this new king, this new political global movement is without Joseph. They don't know Christ. They don't care to know Christ. And their attention are turning to the millions and millions of people all over the world. And, and now it's come to rest in our shore in America. They are turning their attention and view the people of God as a threat. Can you read to us verse 9 and 10, Brother Jeremy? And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Basically, well, again, they become a political threat, right? That's how, that's how this spirit of Antichrist sees uh, the people of God right now in our time, just like they did uh, as, the, as the time clock began to tick and they're headed to a deliverance. But it, but it begins with a, with a persecution. And we have to ask the question, you know, what can we expect? 
And it really, it's already begun, you know? Exodus uh, 1, 11, and 12, that's what we see. There's a change of government, right? And then comes the persecution. Can you read 11 and 12 to us, Brother Jeremy? Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. This revival, this 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 uh, great awakening that all the false prophets were calling and saying that, you know, thus saith the Lord and all this stuff that they were doing up under the 2020 election and really over the last four years, it, it, it came to nothing. There is nothing there in their prosperity, in their arrogance, in their, you know, in, in their politically connected, you know, movement. Uh, they boasted themselves, but we saw no revival. We saw no multiplication of the true church of God because the church grows under persecution. The church grows when it is afflicted. The early church, if you, if you go back and study the book of Acts, it began as, a, as 120 in the upper room. But when the beast system of that day, the Roman Empire, afflicted them, all it did was cause them to multiply and to grow, even when the false religious system came against them, they grew more and more intensely. Persecution always draws people to the Lord. And that is what was going to happen to them. Notice what we asked was, you know, what, what's going to happen here? Notice what they did in verse 11. They set taskmasters over them. Uh, <laughs> this is government change, right? This is a shift in the favor they had known. As long as Joseph was, and that generation that was before them was alive and, and, and the old way was still flowing, they were okay. They were growing. They were blessed. They were multiplying. They were prospered. But once they reached a transition period in the government, if you will, and the spirit of Antichrist came, a new king over Egypt, Egypt being a type of the whole world that doesn't know Joseph, it turns itself to begin to persecute who they view as an enemy threat, and that is the free peoples of, of, of Almighty God. And so how they react and what they begin to implement is to set taskmasters over them. I see that in our country, for example, you know, amongst the, the city councils and the mayors and the governors and, and, and the backslidden representatives, all these people that are in cahoots right now. What are they doing? What have we seen over the last couple of weeks already? They're shutting down our ability to speak freely. They're already threatening to take away our rights. They're already threatening to implement uh, their draconian system. And, and at the heart of it, they're coming after, you know, unfortunately, the leaders over the last four years have labeled all of Christianity with a political movement. And so that's mm -hmm. why they view us as their enemies. But they're coming after us precisely because the backslidden leadership at a national establishment level led the church or the visible church into that position so that the enemies grew stronger and stronger. So that now when the transition takes place, what they want to do is implement draconian laws and come after us. That's what they did here in Exodus. And the reason that we're sharing this is because it should be to the spiritually discerning a signal to us that we're about to go up under some heavy stuff, man, but not to despair, because what it really is, is a signal 
to the children of God who understand the word of God. Yes, we're headed into some some difficult times, but the exodus is at hand. It is the trigger point that lets us know that we are about to be delivered. This is going to end with the second coming of the Lord. Notice what they did in verse 11. They forced them to build the treasure cities of Pharaoh. That's what they did. They set taskmasters over them. They began to afflict them with their burdens, and they ended up building the treasure cities. I'm just going to throw out a more practical thing. You're going to see a, a coming after of the wealth of the common of the common man, especially amongst the church. I would not say this is the Lord saying this, but I have a sense in my spirit. You're going to see a move made. Remember what I'm telling you here: to take away the 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 non-taxable status from from ministries and churches. They're going to remove the ability uh, for the financing to come to the churches, and they're going to implement heavy taxation. In, in so many different ways. Well, why are you saying that? Because we see that same pattern here in the Exodus in that the, it was those children of God who had their wealth taken and their labor taken from them in order to build up the treasure cities of Egypt. They want to create a super state upon the backs of those that have the money, and they're going to do whatever they can to lay those burdens in order to extract it. So look for extreme taxation burdens. Everything is going to change quickly. Listen to me. They moved quickly. Now, the true church, like we said, it grows under persecution. I think we're going to see the greatest underground revival that, that the United States has ever seen. God is going to connect his people, and no matter what they throw at us, I'm talking about the true church now, it's going to multiply. Is this any different than we've seen over the last 30, 40 years? No. It's been happening all over the world. The problem with the American church is it views itself as the only church in its, in its arrogance. But the truth of the matter is, is that 95% of the church is up under persecution right now as we speak, whether it be in China or Africa or throughout Eastern Europe or India or throughout the Middle East, and they grow. In China, they've in implemented incredibly strict measures. They have burned their churches down, thrown their Bibles into piles and set them on fire, torn the crosses off their churches, taken their children from them, jailed their pastors. They've put them in, in, in concentration camps. And so the church itself, even with all those antichrist measures in, in China, has grown and has seen the greatest revival in the history of the church just over the last 40 years. The more they afflict them, the more they grow. And and the luxury that, that the American church has had, it's, it's all coming down. And the people within it are going to come up under measures that they never thought they would ever see in this land that was once the home of the brave and the land of the free. But we also can draw from this the the encouragement of what God says here, that the more they afflicted them, the more they grew. This tells me we're about to experience a revival, not the kind of revival that, we, that we've seen in the mega churches with the smoke bombs and the big crowds and the loud noises and the spotlights. No, this is going to be a movement underground. This is going to be a movement amongst the people of God. God is going to increase his church up underneath this persecution. Mark my words. That is what the Bible 
tells us. And so verse 13 says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. This is the tribulation. The tribulation is beginning. Everything that we are witnessing is heading us into those days. And it's not going to be easy. But we're going to have to prepare for it. We're going to have to understand it. And we will do our best in our part of the world, in our little corner of, <laughs> of, of, our, of our attempts here to bring forth the word of God, to contribute to what is going to be a collective emerging revelation of the spirit to the church at large all over the world, including the West, but especially here in the Laodicean uh, territory of the church, known as the United States. So after this, after this preparation period, which will go quickly, because that's how the Exodus is written, it comes to that place in verse 23 of chapter 2, where it says that that, that king dies, and now the one, who will sit on the throne, who Moses is going to deal with. He's the Antichrist. He's coming. These measures have to be implemented first. He's going to step onto the stage of a well-established system. And that's what we see in chapter 2, verse 23, with the passing away of the one king and that wicked one finally sits upon the throne, a new pharaoh. And, and this is what begins to to cause the collective cry of Israel to rise to heaven. It'll be the same thing. When you read Revelation chapter 5 and the loosening of the seal, let's take a look at that here. Can you read that in Revelation 5, Brother Jeremy? The opening of the fifth seal, I believe it is. Before you read that, it's chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 6. And, and you're going to read verse 10 and 11. This is the opening of the fifth seal. But look at how it's described here in chapter 2 of Exodus. Let me read this to you. It came to pass in the process of time the king of Egypt died. That makes way for that final wicked one. He's a type of the Antichrist Pharaoh himself that Moses deals with. But listen to what, what, what the result of this, of this preparation period. It, it finds the children of Israel up under heavy bondage. And it says, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up to god by reason of the bondage and god heard their groaning god remembered his covenant with abraham isaac and with jacob and god looked upon the children of israel and god had respect unto them so you could almost replace just the name of israel with god's church made up of jew and gentile and the children of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They will sigh by reason of their bondage. They will cry. Their cry will come up to God by reason of their bondage. God will hear their crying. God will remember his covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will look upon the children of the church. God will have respect unto them. You could read it that way. Look at, we see the same thing unfolding in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Listen to this language. Brother Jeremy, can you read that? And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them 
that they should rest yet for a little season unto their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. When we come into the opening of the fifth seal here, we see an intensity and an increase of persecution upon the children of God, and they begin to cry out, both from heaven and the earth. That is what we see in the Exodus, chapter 2. Once we come to the position where the Antichrist is in power in our time, just as Pharaoh was in theirs, they begin to cry out to God, and it gets God's attention, right? He says there's a little season coming. There is a sixth seal that's about to be opened, and then they will be taken. They will be rescued. But let's go back to chapter 2 now, because the second, that second king, once the preparation of the spirit of Antichrist, as we've already discussed at length, uh, is in full swing here, it will transition into the actual manifestation of the one that Moses is going to deal with. It'll be the same when Jesus comes back. He will be sitting on his throne, and Jesus himself will come to take his church away. That's what the scripture says. He will come and put down all rebellion. He will destroy the kingdom of Antichrist, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the wicked, just like he destroyed Pharaoh and all his servants and all the wicked Egyptians in Egypt. The second king is the Antichrist. He is that Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. So what is this transition to now? Once we reach this point, which is not too many days ahead of us, however long that is, whether it's several months or, or three and a half years, I don't know. But it's, it's coming quickly, trust me, and, and that, because that's what the scripture reveals. But then we're transitioning into what I believe is where we are now. I think we're going to see this now, the preparation of it. See, chapter two is all about the birth of Moses. And 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 then Moses is exiled. He 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 comes to his calling, but he he doesn't understand it yet. And the things that he did forced him to be exiled from the whole situation. God has a group of people that have been exiled from the church, if you will, over the last several decades, really, into multiple generations, if if you can receive it, until this time. They've been in preparation. They're hidden, and they're out on the backside of the desert, so to speak. See, what we're going to see now in chapter 3 is what I believe we're going to see. The call of Moses represents an in-time calling for the Lord's servants, for his people. And we want to read, first and foremost, chapter 3, verse 1. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Horeb, to Horeb, right. So that's Mount Sinai, really. But what we see here is chapter 3 opens up with those that definitive word of timing. It says, now, now Moses. Our attention is turned to, to the call of God upon the deliverer of God, so to speak. But in a larger context, I believe that as it pertains to our time, what we've been seeing, really, 2020 and the years leading up to it have been preparatory. They've been a preparation period for God's people, for God's servants. You might think that this only applies to preachers. I'm trying to apply it prophetically to our time. That applies to you, mama. That applies to you, dad, who's listening. That applies to you, young man. 
or whoever you may be out there, son, daughter, grandfather, uncle, cousin, whatever your situation is, the time has come that God is going to and has been preparing you for this very moment. He needs to have a called servant in whatever place you find yourself. Remember, we are kings and priests, and we've been made so by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father through him. And we are also all given the ministry of reconciliation. So there is a call of God coming, and it's already begun. Some of you are in different stages of it. You wonder why you can't sleep at night. You wonder why you toss and turn. You wonder why the scrutiny of your own personal life seems to be increasing. I could go down a whole list of things as it pertains to what that actually is and what it means, but suffice it to say, the Spirit of God has been working on you. And, and, and your moment of time, your moment of purpose has arrived in the economy of the prophetic time clock of God, just as it did for Moses. Just as there was a Moses that would come and deliver a message, so God is using a, a, a group of servants that he's raising up all over the world that are beginning to deliver a message. What is the message going to be? We'll look at that in the coming days, but let me just throw it out there. Moses' message was one thing, and it was to the people of God and to her elders. And what did he say? The time of your deliverance is at hand. God is coming to rescue you, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Brother Marty, I think it's interesting, too, uh, that word, uh, he was called to a specific place. And you said the word now has to do, speaks of timing again, right? And yes. he is sent to uh, Horeb, which yes. means uh, desert or means drought. And and I think it's it's not coincidental that the call of Moses is coincides at a time where there is a drought or to a place of drought, which is where we find ourselves, right, in this hour, and that his call yeah. comes uh, in that moment where it's needed. Well, that's so, a good point, that, Brother Jeremy, because that's a good point, because what you see here is he's not only come, it's not only Moses, but it talks about the whole flock, right? He yes. led the flock to that place. But what that tells us is that he skilled in protecting the flock, even in the midst of a dry season, right, of a season of drought. It shows that the Lord has been protecting, because really in many ways, this is the flock of his father Jethro. In many ways, if you want to get deeper and multiple layered into this, the deliverance that's coming is not only for us, the church, but it's also for Israel, right? And this is the condition we see. We see Moses taking care of the flocks of a Gentile, right? Jethro, the Midianite. Uh, we see Moses uh, becoming the defender of the daughters of of of, uh, of Jethro, who were, read that in verse 16, chapter 2. How many were there? There were, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they mm -hmm. came and drew water and filled the, the, the troughs to water their father's flocks. Now listen. It's very interesting if you want to, this is a whole side note here, but since you brought it up, this is the type of the church. This is, this is, this is the rejection uh, and the separation of Moses from his people as a type of Christ, if you want to call it that, right? 
and, and he goes into the Gentile territory. And, and there he takes care of these seven daughters who, who are a type of the church. Seven is the number of the church. And notice they have access to water, right? And, and, and they, they, they water their father's flock. But notice this as well in verse 17. The shepherds come and try to drive them away from the water, but it's Moses who stands up and helps them and waters their flock. He becomes the chief shepherd over the house of the father's house that has seven daughters. I mean, this is a type of Christ. This is what Jesus mm. did. And, and he's a Powerful. skilled, amen. He's a skilled, that's what he's been doing all this time. He's a skilled shepherd who can take his true church, right, through the wilderness, through this drought period. But see, the deliverance that's coming is for the whole world. That is made up of Jew and Gentile. And that's why the story is presented this way. Because in the end, what's going to happen is that Christ himself is coming to rescue Israel, just as much as Moses went to rescue Israel. But he's also the chief shepherd of, of the seven daughters. Right? So it, it's a beautiful picture. So you're right, Brother Jeremy. What we see here and the reference to coming into this position of drought, and again, I told you, what, what, what this is a paralleling is the book of Revelation. See, we find a flock on the backside of the desert. That is exactly where John the Revelator was, right? When he begins the book of Revelation, which tells the story of the deliverance of God's people, the Jew and the Gentile church together. We find John on the Isle of Patmos, which just happens to be a desert island, right? And if you can wow. see it, 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 ref, it reflects uh, where the church is now as well. We have reached this point. We are being thrust into the desert and the wilderness uh, 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 of, of our time. And, and, and it is now that he is beginning to stir us. John, the revelation came to John on the desert island of Patmos. The revelation of the deliverance of God's people in Moses' time came to him on the back of a desert. But we have an added component here because we have Israel and we have the seven daughters all in the same narrative, it is a foreshadow of our time, and it's time-specific. It is there, then we transition into verse 2. Can you read verse 2 to us, Brother Jeremy? And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. This is incredibly powerful. There's much here, and I don't want to go through this really quickly. But see, we're talking about prophetic times, and those of you can, who can hear, listen. The time has come. God now, as we're getting ready, remember, from this point, there's still time that has to unfold, a whole bunch of plagues that have to be poured out, the rise of a pharaoh, you know, sitting on power. All that stuff is just ahead, but it's going to happen quickly, but it's going to still take some time. And it must begin with the triggering event of the calling of his servant. That is what is happening right now. I think that's what 2020 was all about, honestly. It triggered the spiritually adept and alert that the coming of the Lord is at hand. But it's not with some flowery, you know, strike up the band kind of thing. This is a heavy season that we're going into. We'll see that in a second here when God tells Moses to take off his shoes because you're standing on holy ground. We are entering into the most holy of times. It is the culmination of the ages. It is the deliverance of God's people. But it ain't going to come easy, to put it in modern language. 
But you see how Moses, Moses transitions now, God appears to him in verse 2. But notice what it says in verse 2. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of, of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now listen, there's much that we can learn here. Let's just go through this quickly. Why our attention is drawn to a bush in this story, it takes us back to understand something. The first time our attention is really drawn to a bush is when Abraham is about to offer Isaac. And, and, and he finds a ram, a type of Christ, the sacrifice, caught in the bush, right, in the thicket by his, by his horns. He's caught there. That's a type of the, of the cross. And, and so now we see all these years later uh, an exodus about to take place. Only this time when our attention is drawn to the bush, it is drawn to the angel in the bush, and the bush is on fire. And what God is trying to tell us here by these uh, symbolic manifestations is that, number one, uh, the bush of Abraham was the ram. But now when the deliverance is getting ready to take place, he's not presented as a ram. He's presented as the angel of the Lord in the fire. And, and we'll get into that in a second. But what this is letting us know is the Lord is getting ready to deliver the church, if you will, <laughs> by the calling of Moses. Moses representing the servants of God in our time, who what they begin to see is not an event that has already happened, which is Calvary, but an event which has already happened and now is about to manifest itself in the second phase of what the cross was all about. He draws our attention to the bush, but now he reveals himself as an eminent exodus is about to take place. The Lord appears in the bush in the flame of fire. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared. When you look at the word angel there, it literally comes from the Hebrew word malak or malak. That is the word that is used uh, and would evolve into the word king. So literally you could read, and the king of the Lord appeared in the bush. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He's what the scholars call uh, the, the theophanic angel. It's a fancy word for, for the pre-incarnate Christ. That's what he used to be called. He's a manifestation of Jesus before he became Jesus. He's always been, remember. He's in the bush as a flame of fire. So notice also how he's described. He appears unto him, that is the angel, or the malak, the malak, the king, appears to him in a flame of fire. Why is this significant? Because now what we see present here is the Lord, the malak, the king, and the flame, all three are present in this bush. The flame is the Holy Spirit. The angel in the flame is Jesus. They are one. They are spirit. They are truth. And they are in the midst of the bush. That's the bramble bush. That's, that's a type of the cross. But it's, it's not a cross where the penalty has to be paid. The penalty's been paid, but it's by reason of the cross 
that he has the right, so to speak. I hate to use that word because of mm-hmm. the crazy faith people, but he he has the he's projecting, if you will, the truth of what Calvary did. Abraham's ram has already been settled. We are now about to see because of the sacrifice, he comes mm. to his servants and reveals to them in both spirit and truth, I'm about to deliver my people. That's how Moses sees it. Abraham sees him as a ram. Moses sees him as the coming deliverer of his people. And so it is now. The early church saw him on Calvary. The last church will see him as the coming deliverer of his people. Hallelujah. He's in the the midst of the bush. Notice he doesn't appear as a ram, like I said, the sacrifice. But he, he, he appears as the Holy Lord, resurrected, the flame and the angel. The bush is not consumed. Why? Because the cross of Calvary has endured all the way. Hallelujah. To the end of time. It has an end time deliverance, a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. This is the exodus. And this is what Moses sees at the precise moment he needs to see it. It is not without note to me, brothers, that this whole transition of the world, this new king that led to this new king that knows not Moses' whole global antichrist system that's preparing the way for the antichrist, that pharaoh that Jesus himself is going to deal with, it all began at a Passover time frame, didn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> it really mm-hmm. in earnest started at a Passover he, season. Hebrews, Hebrews says that uh, for those that are looking for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Excellent. Right, that's, yeah. that's, that's what Moses sees in this particular yeah. bush, as opposed to uh, what Abraham, Abraham saw. Abraham saw the, the 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 salvation through his death. Moses is seeing the benefit, so to speak, or what is uh, what 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 he is entitled to because of it. Yeah. Uh, and that is ultimately yeah. to bring salvation to his people through the coming of the Lord, but also it, it is speaking of the judgment that is coming to what the book of Revelation calls the inhabitants of the earth, those Excellent. who reject him. Excellent. And it's interesting what you said about the benefits, because that's how chapter 2 closes out, right? In verse 24, God hears their growing, groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And then suddenly Moses is seeing him in in a bush not consumed. (laughs) Praise God. So Moses is a type of us in these last days, his servants. And that's all of us, church, all of you listening. We all have a capacity to minister. We all are in this position. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that don't know what's actually going on, but he's revealing it. And and in and in Exodus chapter three verse three, what does he say? I could talk about chapter verse two for a long time, but let's go on to verse three. And Moses said, "I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned." I will now again see the the phraseology the Holy Spirit has has written there. Moses says, "I will now turn aside." It's timing specific. I will. I will now turn aside, it's happening now, to see this great sight. 
see the fire, the angel, the spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are appearing to his servants right now. If you can see it, if you can sense it by the spirit, it is those that will be tasked with declaring the message of our exodus. But who, <laughs> but who will answer the call, right? I mean, who, who are these people? It, are, it is those that will turn to see. This is an effort that must be made. He will come and re reveal himself, but he watches. And it's not until he turns to see the specific thing, which is a foreshadow or a, or a prophetic indication that an exodus is coming. And, 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 and that's why we go into verse 4. God hasn't spoken to him yet. He's, he's being led by the Spirit. Everything that he sees is by the Spirit. He's having a revelation of Jesus. He's having a revelation of what's coming, the fire, the deliverance, and the judgment. The Lord is coming. But he still hears nothing until he turns to see it. That is what we've been talking about for a whole year. The difficulty of most believers to wrap their head around what is actually happening. To truly embrace the prophetic time. Put up your sword, Peter. We talked about the Gethsemane, right? You have to embrace what's happening. How else can the scriptures be fulfilled? We have to understand the times. If we turn to see the sight and understand it, once we make that turn, what happens in verse 4, Brother Jeremy? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. That's incredible. Notice what it says in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then God calls to him. What are you looking at, church, right now? Are you looking at voting machines? and Are you looking at mail-in ballots? Are you looking at the injustice of the society? Are you looking at your politicians and blah, blah, blah? What are you looking at? Or are you looking at what God is actually revealing? That he's about to deliver his people. That Jesus is coming. If you will turn and look at that, God will begin to talk to you. As a matter of fact, it says, the Lord is waiting to see who will do that. That's what it says here in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. Not until then. When the Lord is watching how we are going to react. When Moses turned to truly see what it was that he was witnessing. Then God begins to inform him. I want to point something out to who really interesting. The Lord is that Father God. Right? He's the Father. He's Echovah, the Yot, the He, the Vav, the He, his Hebrew, his sacred name, the Echovah, that's how you say it. But when Moses turns aside to see, Elohim calls to him, God, all three. But who will speak to him now? Is, is, is the angel in the flame, the spirit and truth? 
That's why you hear Moses, Moses. It's it's the aspect of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit and Jesus speaking to him, just as he'll be speaking to us now. It is very interesting that God or Elohim does not call out until the Lord sees the Father. But we have all three present here. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a turning, a definite turning. And then a response. And this is not as easy as you think it is. Moses, Moses, go back and listen to what I just told you. Because I don't think you understood it. But go listen to it again. It is the Spirit, it is the Lord who is calling now, just as he called Moses. That's why you hear Moses' name twice. It's two distinct aspects of the Godhead speaking to him. And then Moses, number one, he has the capacity to hear. He has the capacity to hear ministered to him when he turns aside to see what God is actually trying to reveal. When he turns aside to see what God is actually trying to reveal, God then allows his voice to be heard. But if he was to look somewhere else, up underneath the rock, behind a cactus, whatever, man, he wouldn't hear anything. God was waiting to see who, in in this case, represented and embodied by Moses for the particular purposes of the word we're sharing. Who are those in this hour that are discerning enough to see? Many people see, but they're not willing to turn aside. This will cost you something. And really, in many respects, this cost Moses the rest of his life right here at this moment. Everything that he was meant to be was all about this moment. But if he failed to turn aside to adjust his position and look and draw close in the particular direction that God was showing him, he could have simply gone on and would have failed to fulfill the purpose for which God was revealing himself to him. But once he made the adjustment, it's not enough to see, church. There's a lot of people telling you, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming. Oh, the signs are all about it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is coming. Okay, well, show me in the word. What I, I really can't. I don't know what, to, I don't even know where to start. Well, that means to me that you didn't turn aside after God revealed something to you. You continued going your way. But I'm issuing a call, I believe, by the Spirit of the Lord today, and my brothers are, to all of you out there that you have seen this great sight. You are beginning to understand that the flame, and the, which is the Spirit and the truth, which is the Lord, is beginning to reveal himself because the exodus is ahead our great deliverance from this ungodly, wicked, defiled, corrupted inheritance that our previous father gave us, Adam, is about to be brought down, all of it. And God's people are about to be delivered. There are many of you who can see the signs of the times, but that's enough for you. But there are those of you out there who can see the signs of the times, and God is waiting to see if you will now adjust yourself accordingly because if you will you will hear him call 
your name. Moses, Moses, he's, he's really, if you can see it, he's telling him, drawn out, drawn out. That's what his name means, to be drawn out, right, of the water. It is really a prophetic naming in that both Jew and Gentile will be drawn out. Both the church and Israel are going to be drawn out, embodied in all this. I ain't got time to get into it all, but it's it's incredibly deep. But it's not until you adjust yourself, turn aside to do what? To see. To see what? The meaning of the flame and the angel. What's going on? I need to look different. I'm turning aside with a purpose. This is the pursuit of God, and this is why God now speaks. But the Lord is waiting for those who will. And those who do, he will speak to you. He will guide you, and he will tell you exactly what is going on. It is not enough even to, listen, it's not enough to turn aside the sea. That's important. And we could talk about that at length, what that literally means. If you will do that, this is the pursuit of God and what he's revealing. You will hear his voice. But you must be willing to say what Moses said. It's the same thing that all his servants have said down through the ages. It's what Isaiah said when God said, who will go for us, right? He said, here am I. When this call of this hour is pressing on your heart, the question is, will you say what Moses said, what Isaiah said? Here am I. That's what Moses said. Will you make yourself available to God in this hour? Because there's a lot of your brothers and sisters out there that are going to need to hear what it is that God is about to do and what he's revealing to you. Here am I, Moses said. Those who can hear... And those who will say, here am I, that is, that is to whom God will begin to speak clearly in this hour. Now listen, verse 5, and we'll close with verse 5. Brother Jeremy, can you read verse 5? And he said, draw not nigh hither, put, a, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. This is intense. This is incredible. Maybe we'll pick it up from here tomorrow. But he turn, He waits to see if Moses will turn aside adjustment. He waits to see if he will turn aside. And Moses' particular purpose for turning aside was to, was to see. I need to see, Lord. You've alerted me to something. Now I've made the adjustment, and now I'm looking. If you will do that and pursue God to see and to seek God, he will call you. He will draw you out, which is what Moses' names mean. He's drawing out his servants right now. That includes anyone who names the name of Christ. We're all his servants. He's drawing us out. But if you make yourself available to him, that is where a pause must take place and further adjustment is necessary. This is the place of communion with God. God's now talking to him. And he basically says, you can't come any closer until you do something. 
and the and the taking off of his shoes is is symbolic of that because to get to this next level is going to require the removing of everything we've ever known wherever our feet and the shoes of this world whatever vestige is left I mean, we, it doesn't mean we're, we're these horrible people or anything, although we might be, who knows? But God says, now that you hear my voice, now that you've made yourself available to me, before you can come closer to me, I'm going to take you to the next level. Take off your shoes. Because this space, this prophetic time, necessitates it. It's holy ground. It's holy ground because Jesus is coming, our heavenly deliverer, a prophet like unto Moses is what Moses described him as, right? He's coming. And we're going to be able to tell them as we go on into what we look at further in this word that God is revealing, we're going to see a whole host of things as God begins to interact with him. Because what he's about to reveal to him at a much deeper level is a multitude of things concerning his word and the position of his word in any given time. But also understand Moses, though the people would be delivered, is living out the revelation of the prophetic end-time events that will witness the angel in the flame in the bush return to deliver his people. Remember that angel in the flame, when they're about to be delivered, he appears again. Check this out. Exodus 14. Take a look at this, Brother Jeremy. Exodus 14. This is the Lord, Jesus. Let's see here. Exodus 14. They're at the Red Sea, right? And uh, and they're, they're getting ready to, they're all freaking out because they're about to be destroyed. Look at look at this. In uh, in verse nineteen, what does it say? Exodus fourteen nineteen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. <laughs> so there we have. Uh, the angel of the Lord that was in the bush is now in the cloud, and he goes behind them, and and begins to uh, to protect their back. Right, he's leading them out, and and they're about to go cross over the Red Sea, a type of our ultimate deliverance. Because what's going to happen is the Egyptians are are drowned. Right, read verse twenty, brother Jeremy. This angel of the Lord. Yeah. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. This is this is that mysterious moment that scholars have yet to figure out, right? See, we're, we're in between the sixth and the seventh seal, if you can see it. I know that's way advanced, but I mean, I'm just telling you, that's where we are. Because somewhere between the sixth and the seventh seal of the book of Revelation, we're taken out. But you see, <laughs> there's there, there's this, this darkness that comes between this event. 
you know, Egypt can't see them. They can't see Egypt. But the whole time, uh, Jesus is looking through the cloud. I mean, this is amazing. Look what happens here in verse 23 and 24. Can you read that, 23 and 24? And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and out of the cloud <laughs> and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Oh, what a mighty, what a mighty king we serve, right? The angel of the Lord Hallelujah. is looking through the fire, right? The fire and the Lord oh. are right there, just like in the bush. That's how I know <laughs> That's how I know we're about to be delivered. He's going to trouble those Egyptians. He's going to stand between us and them. And we're going to cross over to that other side. That glorious mountain of the living God is where we're headed, right? We're headed to Zion, man. Glory Hallelujah. Take off your shoes, Moses. Yes. Really, you're standing on holy ground. That's what he told him. From now on, we are entering. I'm telling you all, we are entering the most holy of time. We're going to have to take off our shoes. God help us to do it. God help us to do it. We're going to have to remove things. It's our only safety. And we're going to have to understand that he'll help you, church. He'll help me. He'll help you. As he has helped us all our lives. But these times that we have crossed into now here in 2021, trust me, we're entering into holy times. Yeah. They're both. From now on, we're entering the most holy of times. Our deliverance church is at hand. Our King, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is at hand. The question we're asking you, are you paying attention? Even so, return quickly, Lord, is our prayer. We'll pick it up from here tomorrow as our exodus is at hand. Brother Jeremy, could you close us out? My, my. You know, uh, I read an account some time ago. The rabbi said that that even before whatever what Moses, the sight that he saw this burning bush, many had seen it before. But nobody had actually turned aside, let alone investigate why the bush is not burnt. But Moses wow. did. Wow. <laughs> but Very Moses sad. did. They were afraid, you know. And just like people today are afraid that the bush has been burning 2020. We've been afraid yeah. to look deeper, deeper. And that's what we've been doing in our podcast is attempting to look deeper and deeper. Why is that bush burning? Why is it here? God is speaking to our lives, and I'm looking forward, and I pray you too are looking forward to these next couple of days as Revelation begins again, God begins to give it to us concerning the Exodus, as Brother Marty read in the book of the in book of Corinthians that these things were left for our examples. Will we dig deeper? Will it cause us to look unto him? in this hour we pray that you've been blessed today and we pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue on this journey if the lord allows us to study the exodus 
of the people of Israel, which is our Exodus 2. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.